Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, Sarah Campbell, Head of Conferencing and Events and Yemi Onoavenby, Empowerment Events Delivery Manager from Stonewall, join me to discuss diversity and inclusion. Danny Brown from the Hirespace team is in the studio to tell us all about her favourite showcase from the last few months. But first, the latest update on the implications of coronavirus for the events industry, Heathrow's third runway ruled illegal over climate change, and more on Martin's Law, as Charlotte Gentry, Kate Simpson and Ed Poland sit down for the News Digest. Evening, everyone. Hi, Ed. Hello. How are you doing? Charlotte Gentry, Pure Events. Really well, thanks. Fantastic. You are looking glowing. You are... Fat and happy. Fat and happy. When's, when's the due date? 23rd of April, I get to meet the little man. Exciting. And when, exciting. And you're, how long are you working till before? I know you, you're a workaholic. I think I'm being officially kicked out of the office at Easter. Quite right. <laughs> and Kate Simpson, Marketing Director of the Business Design Centre. Hello. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So, guys, I think the whole events world is talking about coronavirus. It really seems to have stepped up in the last couple of days. They've certainly been talking about it on Radio 4 non-stop. It is coming to a head, right? Yeah, I think the challenge is that the media are creating, understandably, a bit of a frenzy around what the implications of this are, and nobody really knows what the outcome will be. Obviously, it affects our industry probably more than most because of gathering of large numbers of people. And so it's invariably likely to affect a large number of agencies. It's likely to affect a large number of venues um, that will see um, a level of cancellations. Obviously, Mobile World Congress was cancelled. London Book Fair was today, I think. Yeah, the, the Geneva Motor Show has been cancelled and MIPIM was actually thankfully postponed um, to June as opposed to cancelled, which is quite helpful from our perspective. But, you know, economically, it's had a massive effect. There's been about a trillion, I think, knocked off the FTSE. And that has a very big knock-on effect for businesses in the, in the professional services and financial institution sector. So we have to kind of make a plan, I think, in terms of what what one does in each individual business and what that looks like. Well, I'd love to come back to you, Charlotte, on, on what you're doing with your own business and how you're thinking about it. But, Kate, Business Design Centre, big London venue. What's the impact been on you guys so far? Well, as you said, naturally, people are very, very nervous. I think the media hasn't helped at all. And obviously, the kind of last time something like this happened, there wasn't the spread of people, the transport levels that we have nowadays. So I think naturally organisers are seeing on the news other events cancelling. They're contacting us to see if that's what they should be doing. And thankfully we haven't had too many that have decided to do so. I think we've had maybe one event which had a large delegation from overseas that made the decision to do that. But we've just been really putting things in place to make it a really safe and welcoming place to come and hold events putting contingency plans in place so that people can frequently um, sanitise their hands on site and um, hand-washing facilities. So there's lots there that we're doing that makes it still OK for people to come to the venue. So, if, so if you, I mean, don't have to go, and, go into any detail you don't want to, but have you seen events start to cancel or people start to kind of talk around that yet i think we managed to reassure a lot of nervous organizers and naturally they are nervous because it's something that we haven't had to deal with before really it's an unprecedented situation and we've got a lot of people putting pressure on the organizers as well so you've got exhibitors maybe coming to the organizers which is you know having a real knock-on effect so 
thankfully we've had a couple of events this year who've you know a lot of our international events have happened earlier on this year Limex um, have come out with a strong statement in the last couple of days haven't they they were on the podcast last week and they sent some communications around I think it was either yesterday or the day before saying that as things stand Imex is going ahead you know let's tackle this sensibly that's dealing facts it's good to see a message reassuring message like that from an industry leader right yes 100% and because we just don't know how this is actually really going to play out over the next two to three months I think I think that the implications are going to be relatively short time frames in terms of people making those choices and and cancelling events I think Italy were the first country to stop travel in and out of China and have have had the biggest impact in terms of the number of cases in in Europe. And it's how how each country really puts the containment methods in place that's really going to have the the impact on how many months it takes to, to get this thing under control. I mean, they say that, you know, when the weather warms up or whatever, that tends to kill a lot of viruses anyway, because the weather actually does play a part in all of this. But it's not very helpful when you turn on every media channel and you're getting a huge swathe of statistics that invariably are likely to panic large swathes of people. People need to know the stats, which is absolutely fine. But the reality is, is that you've got 75 million people living in this country and something at the moment like 51 cases of it. So, you know, the chances of contracting it are actually pretty slim. Um, And I think it's a one, maximum 2% chance of actually, dare I say it, dying. And the people that are most susceptible to that are the severely elderly or people like myself who are pregnant um, or whose immune systems are horribly depleted. So it's worth a little bit getting it into perspective from a personal perspective and thinking, you know, how much at risk am I actually when it comes to this? The government's been quite sort of measured, I suppose, so far. There's been a lot of talk about it in the last couple of days. It's stopped short of banning any event. I know Switzerland banned events, didn't it, for a thousand... I mean, the Swiss mm. are terrified by everything. So, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> they've gone into lockdown, basically, and cancelled, I think. We're not allowed to plan events over an, over 500 people, I think, in Switzerland at the moment. Mm. I think France put similar measures in place to say you couldn't plan events over 5,000. But yeah, like the government, you said, they come out with their advice and it sounds really, really basic, but personal hygiene, focusing on the facts and making sure you have that level of protecting yourself. So dare I say less contact when you're meeting people in venue spaces. Um, And, you know, if you if you are feeling unwell, then not going to an event where you could be spreading germs. I think it's small, basic things that are going to help to minimise the spread of spread of this. It's also kind of advice for business events, businesses out there, because yes, the media hype is perhaps the most you know, dangerous thing at the moment and anything could happen. But at the end of the day, we are seeing events being cancelled. Um, I mean, we're also seeing events still being booked, um, yeah. you know, so our existing clients are still booking stuff and booking stuff for sort of 400 people. So businesses carrying on as usual. I think the most that you can do is have a decent level of cash flow, ideally, in your business. And I'm now obviously talking from an agency perspective um, where you have control over that kind of thing um, as a business owner and putting a plan in place to 
to look at what the next four to six months might look like if your revenue is depleted because mm-hmm. certain clients are prepared to book things and certain clients simply aren't. Um, and we, we have got clients that are, you know, we've got plans to go to Ibiza in the summer and for a trip. And, you know, we've got certain things that are going on. But, you know, because it's a very short term, the information that we're garnering is very, um, it's changing all the time. Um, I think that those reactions are going to be very, very um, short notice. Definitely. We're meeting every single week and more frequently every other day just to keep an eye on things as they develop and put practice in place to make sure that we're prepared in case there is anything. But very much at the venue, it's, you know, the business is open. We're welcoming people. We do want them to follow advice on site, but we want them to come and enjoy the events that we're hosting. So are you regularly communicating with your your clients, the ones that are you know, have events imminent and the ones that, that use you from time to time. Are you kind of getting on the front foot and, and talking to them and explaining your, your policy on that? Yeah, so we've made some um, publicly available advice, which is being updated as it changes. Um, it was last updated yesterday, so it's fresh advice. And we've gone to lengths of putting it out on social media, so it's publicly available. Um, it shows the support of welcoming people. And there's a comment from our chief executive on there, you know, saying how keen he is for people to come and still enjoy events. So we're supporting the organisers through that messaging. Business Design Centre is a really well-run venue and, and you know, on, on lots of different issues. I guess for events professionals more broadly, perhaps some who are listening to this, where, where are we going for, for latest advice? I think you could look at the government website, to be honest. I think it's probably the number one place that you should go um, because that's being updated as regularly as as it can be um, and the advice on there is is pretty significant and it gives good benchmarks in terms of what practical advice you can take rather than scaremongering. I mean, I was told today that a friend of mine is um, stockpiling up in Nottingham for fear that, she, you know, she might not be able to get to the supermarket. I'm like, you know, this I is saw that. it's crazy ridiculous. madness, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, um, and obviously the government website is backed by Public Health England, so they've recommended not shutting down businesses unless unless they've actually recommended it. So they even in, in the case of a positive um, result at, at a, a space, for example, a school or a venue, um, until they've come in and done a risk assessment, they don't recommend to shut business down. It's, it's to continue as usual. Yeah, and I guess all of us working in this world can be can be measured and sensible and you know as positive as uh, as is appropriate any any time that's why i love to see you know imex i think they articulated it really well when they and they talked about their stance on it and i mean i get the sense from you guys that the the general feeling is you know there's no need to to panic it's kind of business as as usual as as far as is is reasonable i mean the only thing you can do is just react to the situations that occur um on a weekly basis you know if a client pulls up and said we, we think we're going to have to cancel this and you the other thing that's really important to to recognize is that if a client chooses to cancel their event the liability remains with the client and the client's insurance claim and i think this is something that's really worth knowing if an expo is cancelling so in the instance of imex if imex chose to cancel their event then you have an ability to claim on imex on imex's insurance it's their liability to actually refund any exhibitors and you know that's so i'm using them as an example i don't mean to sort of um bully imex obviously that's not what i'm trying yeah. to do but i um, in the instance of mipim they've been quite clever they've postponed it um, and they probably will continue to postpone it as opposed to cancelling it because the ramifications are huge. You know, once you cancel, like Mobile World Congress, apparently Google just 
said, well, we're not cancelling, we're not cancelling, we're not cancelling, and waited until Mobile World Congress cancelled because then it was actually their liability and it's millions and millions that they are now going to be claiming off Mobile World Congress. I guess we yeah, just, just, just urge everyone to stay up to date and always be appraised of the facts and not get into speculation and you know, not kind of just repeat stuff that you, that you hear for the sake of it and just staying completely in control. And of I think what's managing, managing your team accordingly, I've witnessed you know, a couple of people, there's a lot of conversation in the office about it and surrounding it and just minimising that drama and just you know, trying to sort of calm people down because of a, you know, most people mm. like a drama, don't they? A lot of people like a drama. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're actually going to do, to our listeners, we're going to have a special all about the coronavirus on next episode of the podcast, which will be in two weeks' time, where we will look at this in a bit more detail, because no doubt we will still be talking about it in, in a couple of weeks' time. I think we'd be Definitely. very lucky <laughs> when, uh, were that not the case. Um, moving on, so we had the news last week about the third runner at Heathrow not going ahead for environmental reasons. I know we talk a lot about the environment, sustainability, and events. Well, but you guys, what do you, you know, what do you think about this from a, an events perspective? Is this good news? Is this not so good news? I mean, the answer to that has to be, from an environmental perspective, clearly it is good news until they start designing hybrid aircraft. Mm-hmm. But it's got practical ramifications alongside it. I personally don't see how they can't build it they will have to build it somewhere else if they're not building it at Heathrow and maybe the you know the environment in and around that area and people so many people have complained I think in and around Surrey and Slough that they, that they probably have had to can it and, and obviously climate change is such an enormous topic at the moment and it's been so prevalent on again so many media channels that it would have been 100% the wrong thing to push it through. Almost certainly the backlash to it probably would have been terrible. But I can't see with the amount of people coming in and out of this country from a business perspective and business travel and um, conventions and X, Y and Z and leisure, how they wouldn't have to produce another option somewhere else. Quite a big thing, isn't it? I think this is the first time that climate change has put halt to a major infrastructure project. So it's quite a watershed moment. Yeah, definitely. I think that obviously the runway was intended to ensure that we're still competing on a level playing field with other major cities in Europe as a business and tourism hub. I think um, we are one of the major cities for that. And without it, I think, yeah, you're you're talking about 260,000 flights that that would accommodate. But you can't ignore the climate response behind it and that without doing something in terms of balancing that, you're never going to be able to reach the kind of government's plans for um, getting to zero carbon emissions by 2050. Does BDC have any stance? Because I guess there's a dilemma for you because you're, you know, you have a lot of international events, but equally you're right at the forefront of sustainability and best practice there. It must be a tricky one for for you guys yeah i think it's a challenging topic to uncover really um personally for me i would sit on the side of the climate perspective purely um because i think it's really important that we do live up to our endeavors to reach that um zero carbon emissions by 2050 i think it's it would be very wrong to say that we put ourselves forward as an ethical and socially responsible venue and then support something 
um, to the contrary. We've never had an affiliation with the airport itself and the, the kind of runway project, but that would be my personal stance on it in that we very actively support improving the impact on the environment and, yeah, that would have a, a detrimental effect. Well, you just can't hit the goals for, for 2050 without making big decisions like this. Yeah. Right? It's just not possible. No, sure. And it would have been an absolutely catastrophic um, PR disaster, I think, um, in light of um, all the conversations and conventions and um, summits that have been going on about climate change. I just think there's no way that the decision could have been made to deliver it. Yeah, I guess there's a, there's a big threat to global events, right, from you know, particularly younger generations are very value-driven and, you know, they'll just be, be turned off global events if and you know they won't want to travel and get on a plane to go to, to big events so it seems like a good time for the industry to make a, a strong stance as you say Kate on the on the side of climate change for this one yeah I think so I think we also ignoring the fact that London's still one of the best connected cities we've got an incredible rail infrastructure um that services Europe in fact now um, even further than it did before so there's more ways to get to London than there used to be um, I think people are coming up with new technologies and there'll never be ever a replacement for meeting people face to face but for sure there's definitely new um, new suggestions coming through with the next generation and how they want to be serviced by the event industry and how they feel about attending events or the alternatives that they're happy to receive, you know, Skyping in specialists instead of flying them over from San Francisco or wherever. So I think it's completely um, accommodatable to look at the ways that we're delivering these events nowadays um, and finding more um, sustainable solutions. Well, so a bad week for incentive travel, really, though, with Heathrow and with coronavirus. Not easy for incentive travel at all, I think. And uh, just trying to navigate your way through those types of events being cancelled in, in the short term if people are trying to take ski trips or, you know, company meetings off-site and all the rest of it. It's not near... Yeah. Not a, not a great time and space for this. No sooner have we come out of Brexit that we, we, we get hit with the coronavirus. So, you know, the market's going up and down like a yo-yo. What do we think of virtual conferences taking some of the slack? Obviously, you're never going to take all of it. But is that something either of you been involved with any other p- putting them on or, or being present at them? My personal view is slightly left field of that, that content will still need to be delivered. And it's how that content is actually delivered and messaged through so virtual conferencing I'm not necessarily convinced that's the answer but it's actually about the content delivery and the digital marketing channels that that delivery is actually or that content is actually produced on um, that's probably going to be the future in, in my mind. Yeah, definitely. I think we've addressed in the venue seen people wanting to Skype into meetings that they would ordinarily travel for. Um, and actually, it's fine on a meetings level, I think. Um, but you're right, content is the, the key to a successful and enjoyable event. And, and whether you can provide that or not without people being there or having the physical um, presence is, is a challenge. This feels like a great opportunity to go and prove that it that it's possible now with Corona and <laughs> everything else. And if there's if there's any any time for someone to step up and deliver an absolutely incredible 
virtual conference. I imagine the next couple of months are probably a good time to do it. Yes, 100%. <laughs> certainly, certainly a good challenge. We're running out of time. I'd like to talk just very quickly about Martin's Law, simply because Confex was, was last week and uh, Fegan Murray, whose son was tragically killed in the Manchester bombings, was on stage talking about Martin's Law and encouraging all events professionals to undertake the government's ACT awareness e-learning course. I know, Kate, we were talking about this before. You've actually <coughs> done this course, is that right? Yeah, so um, all of our security team... Um, in the venue and we're extending it to other um, teams at the moment have undertaken the e-learning course takes about 40 minutes and it covers a range of things from um, watching clips and understanding access and egress in the event of a terrorism um, attack on a venue and we personally take it really seriously I think um, coupled with the fact that we have a local area police team that we work really closely hand in hand with we have been preparing for a very long time um, even ahead of that in terms of scenario prepping and ensuring that the people who operate out the venue day to day know what they may do in the event of an attack it's all gathering pace i know this week or or recently the the new security minister james brockenshire announced plans to introduce martin's law which will require owners and operators of public spaces and venues to put in place measures to keep the public safe from a terrorist attack. We'll be going to consultation, which is the first stage towards legislation. So it sounds like it's being taken seriously at a policy level. But, Kate, from what you say, it sounds like something that people should just do anyway, right? And it's also about having a crisis management plan in place. And I think that's the responsibility of the organisers mm. to work with venues such as yourself, Kate, to um, ensure what actually happens in that situation and what the line of escalation looks like and the res- where the responsibility lies. Because at the end of the day, you know, people sort of think, OK, people stop panicking and running. Mm. Um, but actually what we should do probably is go into lockdown and have one person that's communicating from lockdown into the outside world as an example. so that you're in a safe place. I think um, in terms of kind of lockdown scenarios, um, run, hide, tell is the protocol that we get given by our local bid team so they they come into the venue frequently do seminars with us um, and highlight very similar scenarios. Brilliant, well lots of information on Martin's Law online, I would urge any listeners to go and look at it, I'd also urge I know Martin Fillard, the editor of Conference News who's who's often on on this podcast is you know, right at the forefront of uh, you know, working with uh, with Fegan Murray and, and, and pushing this this story forward. So do uh, have a look at what he's got to say on it. Um, guys, we're out of time. Uh, a reminder that next episode we will have a special feature on coronavirus. So do tune in for that and look forward to seeing you then. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. Next up, I'm joined by Sarah Campbell, Head of Conferencing and Events, and Yemi Onoavenby, Empowerment Events Delivery Manager from Stonewall, for a discussion on diversity and inclusion. But first, we have a quick message from one of our sponsors. Today's episode of the Event Lab podcast is brought to you by Yahire. If you're looking to hire quality furniture or catering equipment for your next event, the experienced team at Yahire can help. Yahire provides a wide range of product styles available to hire for all types of events. Find out more at yahire.com and don't forget to check our new range of bespoke made in London furniture. Yahire, award-winning furniture hire. And now back to the show. Hello, thank you very much for joining me. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Feeling very spoiled. Uh, we, we reached out to, to Stonewall for a guest and we've got tea, which is fantastic. So for our listeners that aren't as familiar with uh, Stonewall, can you tell us a bit more about what you guys do? So Stonewall is um, 
Europe's largest LGBT rights charity. So LGBT mm-hmm. stands for lesbian, gay, bi and trans people. Um, we were formed in 1989 in reaction to Section 28, which was a law that said that the promotion of homosexuality at schools um, wasn't allowed. Mm. So we were kind of formed as a lobby, lobbying group to kind of work with the government to repeal that law, which we did in 2003. Since that time, we've lobbied for loads of other laws, so things around same-sex marriage, consent, adoption, things like that. Um, and we now work a lot more with like institutions, you know, sporting bodies, schools, to ensure that in all areas of an LGBT person's life, they're being sort of treated with respect and, and the, the same as everyone else, essentially. And you also run a series of events as well. Yeah, so we come from our kind of workplace events team. So we design and deliver events for organisations that help them think a bit more about the experiences of LGBT people in their workplace. Mm -hmm. So important. Yeah, and like how they can create um, the policies, the practices, the cultures that mean that people can sort of achieve their potential at work, that nothing's holding people back. So we do sort of four big conferences across the year around the UK and some smaller kind of workshops and sessions for different groups of people. A lot of our listeners are events professionals, so mm-hmm. so really interested in this side of it uh, in particular. And it should be on everyone's mind to how, how they can make their events more inclusive and make sure everyone feels welcome. Like, very fortunate that I've got both of you, one who focuses on logistics, another that focuses <laughs> on marketing and content. So I'd like to look at it from sort of both sides. So, sort of, Yemi, how do you go about making sure that your events feel very inclusive for your LGBT audience? So I think what's been really key is that we think about the the person's experience the moment they walk into our event the moment they leave the event so that every aspect of the event they feel welcome and they know that they can have a great time and they're in a safe environment um so we have a lot we've adopted a lot of things into our registration process which is obviously the first thing that they'll walk into on the day so things like pronoun stickers and no photo stickers ensure that they feel welcome at the beginning because they can put their pronouns and not have to worry about um any assumptions of misgendering and mm-hmm. no photo stickers to ensure that um if they don't want photos taken at an event that that's been respected in the, the most kind of easy way and it's not going to be a problem for them we provide changing rooms which can be really really key for trans people for instance also in our email communications we do things like code of conducts which ensure that people know that we don't take any homophobic biphobic or transphobic behavior mm. we don't take it essentially yeah, yeah, that zero stuff. tolerance <laughs> zero tolerance exactly and there are roles in place um for the protection of us our, our, our attendees so we have safeguarding leads at our events we have people whose role it is to ensure that our delegates have somewhere to, somewhere to go and someone to talk mm. to. Um, so things like quiet rooms as well is a key thing to ensure that, especially at our larger events, that people have somewhere they can sort of go to if like the day gets a bit too heavy. Um, that's really key as well. We've also adopted gender-neutral toilets at all mm. of our events. So this is a way to ensure that everyone feels safe going to the toilets um, because it's something that, uh, that a lot of cis people is a, is a privilege, essentially. Um, but it's also been really key in all the things we've been doing and adopting to consult the whole LGBT community um, Sarah and I aren't the experts um, on being LGBT or any any experience, so it's been really key to ensure that the things we do reflect everyone's experience. Yeah, and very much possible. led by your audience then. Exactly. So with gender neutral toilets, we would put the sign up, but then we've realised that actually people need to know what's in that toilet mm. so they know they can feel safe in there. So knowing whether they're urinals, whether they're sanitary bins, so that when they walk in, they know what to expect and they feel safe. Does it limit the, the venues you can use? Do you find that there are challenges sort of selecting the right venue for these kind of events? Or have you find that most venues are pretty accommodating to all this? So I don't think it's actually been that limiting because usually when you explain the reason mm. behind the need for gender neutral toilets most venues um will obviously have to take a bit of time to figure out if that would actually work but usually actually feels like quite 
easy to, okay, to sort out. Um, and they can usually understand why it's important and also maybe even consider, you know, starting to sort of action it themselves in the, the things they run and like the so a lot of venues and like organizations we work with now introduce an option gender neutral toilet at their their venues as well so yeah brilliant and sarah from a more marketing content side yeah. uh, what, what sort of work do you do to make sure that your events are inclusive i think that people don't come along to an event where they don't feel like they'll be represented or understood so i think with especially with logistics we're really conscious of like putting all this out there and telling people what to expect at our events and we kind of do the same in our approach to marketing so we're making sure that people know that we're representing all LGBT experiences a lot of the yeah. time we see events that um, are talking about LGBT experiences but it can be quite specific experiences so we're making sure that we're engaging different speakers with different experiences and perspectives into all sessions so we're not saying you know pigeonholing um, people to talk specifically about their identity a lot of the time so mm -hmm. if we have trans speakers at our events we want them to be talking about kind of everything from like how you can get a monitoring form right <laughs> or kind of like all of the different facets of LGBT inclusion which is obviously what our events focus on and similarly with marketing kind of thinking about where we're putting things where we're talking about things how we're reaching different communities how our pricing structures enable participation are we offering volunteering opportunities for people who might need to self-fund so kind of helping mm -hmm. ensure that the most number of people possible can attend our events and I think especially with content um, we talk quite a lot about the platform that we have we're really lucky like as Yemi said we're kind of Europe's largest LGBT inclusion charity mm. and that comes with responsibility but it also comes with us not necessarily always knowing everything so it's important I think we know when we need to share our platform when we're inviting people in and we're making sure we're inviting lots of different people in um, but when we need to kind of give it up entirely and when the audience that we have and the people we can engage are better served by someone else talking so our London conference last year we talked about LGBT and faith equality in the closing yeah. session which is something that I think a lot of people aren't necessarily thinking about in the workplace specifically or they're viewing that as incompatible and we're like this is best served by giving up that stage to a bunch of kind of experts in this area a bunch of LGBT people of faith to have their own conversation mm -hmm. and to talk about that in a way that works for them and I think that was a really great way of just being like we don't always need to be the experts we don't always need to be involved in all of that content we can provide that space and that um, platform for people. So I'm um, just wanting to take um, sort of a more broader look at um, inclusion. Obviously, you're focused on LGBT inclusion, but because you're sort of market leaders for that, it, it must be something that you sort of do very well and are thinking about in, in all aspects. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you do to make sure that every guest that you have at your events feels included and welcome and safe? Yeah, it's really key from the beginning of an event that we run that we take an intersectional approach, because obviously LGBT people aren't just LGBT people. They're multifaceted mm -hmm. in their experiences. One of the key things that we have kind of tried to champion in the events we run is our accessibility policy and like how we ensure that we're accessible as possible, essentially. Um, so the key thing with things like that is consultation again. Um, so we worked with a number of disability um, equality charities and basically got their um, feedback on our events and kind of got their criticism of like the things we would we were doing right and the things we're doing really wrong and that was the only way we could do it um so obviously when you think about accessibility there are things you can see that are obvious but there's always going to be something you're not going to see and it was a really eye-opening experience for me to realize the the things i taken for granted in the events we we're running and how people may not be able to like speak up at events or activities that were 
unknowingly um, excluding some people yeah. from even attending our events at all. Um, so that's been really key. So things like having a role on the day, that's an accessibility role, so that people know that they can go to that person to ask questions really like, oh, I can't read these slides, or I can't hear this person speaking, things like that, has been really key. Another really important thing is considering people's, um, like if people can access the event. So we do a lot of due diligence on our dates and mm. the spaces and areas that we do things. So for instance, making sure that an event we run isn't being run on like a key religious holiday reference is people need to fast and they aren't able to actually access the event um, fully also thinking about school holidays um, things like if people are going to need childcare things like that with content and with marketing you need to sort of like really target your audience but mm-hmm. um, so it, is, it, is, it can be a little bit more focused but I know you still obviously want to reach as many people as possible and, and people from all sorts of backgrounds sort of what do you do on your side to make sure that they're as, as inclusive as they can be I think that there's so many options and opportunities for how you can get this right through content and marketing. And I think it comes a lot from being really open to different perspectives Mm. and from being really open, from learning from other people. And we are as generous as we can be with how we run our events and we want to help people get it right for LGBT inclusion. And we Mm. really take that on when other people take the same approach with us. Like We really appreciate it. So we kind of appreciate that criticism, if that makes sense. Like We want to learn. Um, And I think one of the main things for me is who you're engaging as speakers and the styles of session that you're doing. I think if we're having um, lots of panel discussions one after the other with lots of speakers who all have very similar identities or experiences, like as someone who can sometimes feel excluded from things that you look at that and you're like, this isn't an event for me. This isn't something that I will get something from or be understood at. So thinking about who is on those panels, but not just thinking about kind of who's on those panels. It's not good enough to kind of just pull up another chair to the same table. You know, are you talking about topics um, that engage different people? Are you talking in a way that engages different people? Do you have shorter sessions, longer sessions, kind of more workshop interaction sessions? Do you have sessions that are speeches, different ways for people to engage with different kinds of content and other ways of learning as well? You know, content doesn't just come from the speakers that are on the stage, but if you have networking areas, are there different organisations people engage with? So Mm -hmm. our upcoming conference that we're doing in London in April, we're talking about health in the closing session, talking about LGBT and health inclusion at work. One of our networking areas is going to completely focus on health. We're going to have lots of different kind of LGBT or or not specifically LGBT charities um, talking about their work in health. So people have another way to learn about and engage with that content. And it enables us to bring in a broader range of voices to that conversation. Fantastic. And and while we're on this topic, I know... A lot of um, companies are looking to maybe sort of cast the net a bit wider for their attendees. Mm. Um, Is this something that you think about as well? We think about it all the time. We don't want to just kind of speak to the same people over and over Mm. again. And I think it comes from so many different um, avenues. And I think, but it especially comes from knowing you'll be represented and understood at an event. So all of the measures that Yemi's talking about, especially kind of access, um, are crucial to really communicate that but also to take an open approach to say you know if you have an access need and you want to talk to us about whether this event works for you and how we can make it work for you please get in touch like providing a way for people (laughs) to contact you um but also interviewing your speaker showing you have different perspectives um at your events kind of getting quotes from them getting bios from them getting those up on your website to show people that they will see topics and speakers that represent them and their experiences um at this event um is really 
crucial, I think. I think this will be so helpful for so many of our listeners. It's so, it should be at the front of everyone's mind at the moment. I've got one more question for you. It's a bit of a broad one. And it's, again, just because it's probably something that we should all be asking ourselves constantly. And it's just sort of like, what more can we do? Like, is there is there anything more that can be done? What extra things should people be thinking about always? I think my really short one is paying your speakers. And I think it's something we see so much across our industry is... Mm people not having the budget or people thinking that exposure is kind of fair recompense and a lot of the time that can be true but especially for kind of more marginalized people or people who are in fragile work or people who are coming to talk about their identity that financial recompense is crucial and being building that into your budgets and being able to offer that right from the outset will enable you to engage a range of speakers and engage them ethically as well i think my key thing is always that um consultancy is the key for any kind of like inclusive event and that it's really important that you're able to take criticism um, and learn from it yeah it's okay if you make mistakes um, and the only way you can like improve is if you get those people's voices that you pay and get them to improve your events um, so that would be my key thing and if any of our listeners want to find out a bit more about stonewall or about the events that you run where would be the best place for them to head I think head to our website, um, www.stonewall.org.uk um, and check out our London Workplace Conference, which is coming up on the 3rd of April. Um, you can learn about loads of different areas of LGBT inclusion um, at work there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Coming next, it's Showcase of the Quarter. Danny Brown from the Higher Space team is in the studio to tell us all about her favourite showcase from the last few months. You'll hear from her after a quick message from our sponsor. Higher Space Professional. Are you a corporate meetings and events planner with a packed calendar of events? Higher Space Professional streamlines the whole event booking process from venue supplier sourcing, standardised digital venue contracts and even event delivery. Higher Space Professional is here to save you both valuable time and money. To discover the benefits of Higher Space Professional, email hspro at higherspace.com. And now back to the show. Danny, welcome to the Event Lab podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So our listeners won't know this, this is a bit behind the scenes, but I have been nagging Danny to come on the Event Lab podcast for ages. Uh, the reason I've been nagging her is because you go to about everything. Is that right? <laughs> well, I try to do as much as possible. I think it's such a great industry to be in and there's so many people to meet and places to see that it's just kind of never ending. Just to give our listeners uh, like a rough idea of why you're a showcase expert, how many do you think you went to last year? Just a rough guess. Um, probably about three a week. So okay, yeah, so, that's quite a lot. Uh, my math isn't good enough to do that. But, <laughs> but yeah, three a week, loads. And uh, also, how many industry events did you go to just last night? I went to two last night. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> so, even one. Okay. But uh, those aren't the events you've come on to talk about. So I've just um, asked you to, to just tell me about uh, one or a couple of your favourites from the last four months. So what ones have you come on to talk about? So I wanted to actually talk about NHOW opening. Mm-hmm. So that was um, a bit of a launch party. So the NOW Hotel opening in Shoreditch um, is kind of a little bit quirky, a little bit fun, a little bit different in terms of your normal London hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really great event. They partnered up with um, a company called MiceBook and they also worked with a Switzerland Convention Bureau and other suppliers that were there um, alongside and it was just a great vibe. It was full of experts as well so it's full of agencies um, kind of various agencies um, and venues and destinations so it was a real mix to network around 
there was this amazing supplier called Icon Art. I don't know if you've... Yeah, no, I'm familiar. They um, they were at Event Lab. Um, but for our listeners that don't know anything about them, can you just sort of run us through it? So they take a picture of your eye. Um, like They've got this amazing high-tech lens and they take a picture right of your eye and it's the actual... You can see all the colours, you can see any of the blinds in your eyes and they kind of talk you through and explain a little bit more about what your eye means and what the eye is. Like if there's any stains, they could be um, melanin um, on the eyeball or something like that or you've also got like growing marks on your eyes so that was really interesting because you must go to a lot of hotel openings what made this one really stand out in your mind aside from just the the partners that they had I just think the way it looked it was so different and kind of out there so you walk into the lobby and it's basically the whole theme is a bit like London Reloaded Mm -hmm. so it's kind of the classic London things with a massive twist on it Um, so you can walk through and then they've got like a big Ben rocket that's just kind of on the side they've got really bright colours it's kind of really in your face they've got some graffiti um, I actually stayed there also and I got to experience stay one of the nights um, in the rooms and they're beautiful it's again very different very quirky they've got graffiti on the walls um, but then they've got the kind of standard like London touches so the bulldogs and the flags yeah, yeah. and stuff like that it's very very London um, it was just very different I think I mean, in comparison to kind of your more classic traditional hotels that I've, I kind of go to a lot of their showcases as well. Um, so for me, it was, yeah, quite exciting. Um, and it's definitely somewhere that I want to place my clients. And uh, how was the F&B? Yeah, it was great. So they had this amazing kind of pan-Asian fish that I tried, which was really, really tasty. And then um, I actually left before the desserts came out because <laughs> I had to run home. But I saw I was watching them place out um, all the desserts on a massive dessert station, which looked insane. Um, but I didn't get a chance to actually taste any of those, unfortunately. Uh, can you let us in on any gossip from the night? Anyone get on the table? Anyone get really drunk? <laughs> no, I don't think it was. They wasn't I wasn't too... really expecting it, really. <laughs> got to ask. Yeah, it wasn't too messy um, in comparison to some of the events that I've been to but yeah no it was quite tame and it was just nice to have a catch up with um, a load of people that I know within the industry I mean I know you go to loads and so maybe maybe this was just one of the ones that you're always going to go to because you're interested in the venue but was there anything in particular about the invitation that made it sort of stand out to you so it was um, I think with the amount of partners that they were working alongside mm-hmm. it gave me the opportunity to not only just see the venue not only meet suppliers but also meet um, DMCs or um, kind of convention bureaus for, for other destinations so I think that that had a bit of a pull for me because it wasn't just one reason that I was going yeah, yeah, it was yeah. multiple um, and then I think on the back of that it's kind of I've built those relationships and still in contact with those people and you thought it was a good networking uh, opportunity as well as yeah. just sort of seeing the spaces yeah definitely it wasn't a long evening it was only over the space of, of three hours but during the day they actually did um, some workshops mm-hmm. um, unfortunately we Higher Space couldn't attend but they partnered up with MySpook so they provided the workshops um, so there was a lot of content there that I think as well drew a lot of attendees and this is a tiny bit off topic but just because I know that out there and we've got a lot of listeners that are event bookers at corporate clients they don't necessarily have as much visibility of these things you know as an agency we get invited to a lot of things but if you're a bit out of the loop but still like a valued booker and probably one that like uh, venues and and suppliers would like to be in front of do you think there are there are good places to sort of watch out for these and spy? And do you think it's worth sort of asking for an invite if you if you see something? Yeah, definitely. I'd always ask the question for the invites because you never know what. So even if people aren't full time event bookers, I still think you deserve to kind of see 
like go to these showcases and actually understand the venues, understand how the events run. Um, I think a great place that you can kind of find all of this information, and they do post a lot, is uh, the Delegate Wranglers yep, yep. page. Um, yeah, I think it's that, again, is a massive hub of information and contacts. They do ranges from kind of like different showcases that are coming up or kind of fam trips. Um, and then just if you need any help, if you're stuck with anything, they're really, really useful. Thank you so much for coming in, Danny. I'm so glad I kept nagging you to come. And um, let's face it, I'm probably going to keep nagging you to come back again. Yes, definitely. Thank you. And that's our show this week. We had a very successful Event Lab series event earlier this week. If you couldn't attend, you can head over to eventlab.online for all the key takeaways from the panel discussion. If you enjoy the show, make sure to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher and the podcasting app of your choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore online. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. Thanks for listening.